uh, today as the title is Don't Write People Off. Don't write people off. At least I may add to that too soon. Now, I've been raised up in an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, hellfire, damnation, King James Bible, a red-faced, uh, shingle-pulling, window-rattling preachers. Uh, they talked a lot about hell and why not to go there. And I appreciate their style. I appreciate their fervor for God. They were misunderstood, no doubt. Uh, but they were men of God that wanted to do the right thing. So I've been around fundamental people, Bible-believing people. We're different than everybody else. What's different than, what's different than a uh, Bible-believing people is that we believe the Word of God uh, is God's Word. Every letter of it is God's Word from front to back, the whole entirety. We believe in the specificity of the Word of God. We believe it's eternal. We actually believe it's forever settled in heaven. Why? Because the Bible says that of itself. And that makes us really different than most of the people who call themselves Christian out there who have various degrees of belief in the uh, inspiration of Scripture and what it teaches. Some people accept 20% of the Bible is true. Some accept 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 but we accept 100% of the Bible as the Word of God. Why? Because it says so, and it's, it is what testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ before he came. I want to read in John chapter 19, verse 38, about two men. The study this morning, by the way, have mercy upon me uh, if I'm wiping my nose a little bit. I had a cold last week, so I missed. It was just a cold. And it wasn't COVID, and so I'm just uh, I'm just having a little bit of a hangover on that. My nose wants to run. Some of you may want to run also, but you're here for a half hour. But my nose wants to run, and I I don't I don't want to take medicine to stop it, which I could. But if I took the medicine to stop it, I wouldn't know what I was talking about or who I was, because it just makes me dumber in a box of rocks. And I don't I need all the help I can get. John chapter 19, verse 38 through 42. Talking about really two men this morning. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. I want you to mark that, underline that, highlight that or whatever you do, but at least note it. But Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. That's not a compliment. He sought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. That is not a compliment. And brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and, and, and a hundred-pound weight. That's, that was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of burial. Uh, uh, it made the body smell well. And they took there the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with spices as a manner of the Jews is to bury. It was in honor of the person. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher where never man yet laid. This was Joseph of Arimathea's. Really, he donated. They, they, lay, there they, laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Father, would you come? I know you love to work through weak vessels, and I am sure that this morning I am a weak vessel. 
would you come and help this message to go forth like in, in power? Thank you for the Sunday school lesson that went forth in power. And thank you for using people that are unlikely to be used. And thank you for Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, even in spite of some of their troubles that they had. Help us, and we here that may be troubled also and struggling, to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. What can we learn from Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus this morning? I believe there's quite a bit we can learn. First of all, we have Joseph of Arimathea. I want to deal with him. I want to note to you he was a rich man. He was no doubt a rich man, had a, had a uh, tomb carved out of rock. It took a lot of a man hours, a lot of effort, a lot of money. Um, he was a rich man. I noticed that people with a lot to lose have a hard time losing it for Jesus. People with a lot to lose have a hard time losing it for Jesus. People that have nothing or very little to lose in this world don't have a problem with giving everything they have to the Lord Jesus and letting it be his. But people with a lot to lose struggle with losing it. Now, you know the rich man that came to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And where'd Jesus go? Boom! He went right to his weakness, his material possessions. And he says, sell everything you got and give it to the poor. <laughs> you couldn't. Man, that's the old fundamental independent Baptist preaching right there. Buddy. I mean, he went right to the went right to the man's weakness and said, if you'll do that, you can inherit eternal life. If your riches stand between you and Jesus, you're going to hell. And those riches won't be in hell with you. They'll be gone. And what he was trying to bring to the mind of that young man was, you may be rich in this world, but you better be poor. If that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, if that's what it means, if that's what it took, and in that particular case, that was what he dealt with, his desire and love of money. But okay, the Bible's tough on rich people. Matthew 19, uh, verses 23, 24, Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, folks, there ain't no interpreting around that. Uh, there's no wiggle room about that. Why is it hard for a rich man to be saved? Is because they're trusting in those riches and not trusting in the Lord Jesus for their salvation. Also, rich men tend to, tend to be proud. And God does, resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Poor people are humble. They, they don't have anything to lose. They never had anything and aren't going to have anything. And they're just, they're, they're, they're just you know, at the, at the mercy of God. But rich folks tend to say, well, you know, I've been smarter than most people and wiser than most people, and I've been able to maneuver better in the financial realm than most people, and I, and I have more than most people. It was old David Gibbs that, that wised me up. One Sunday school lesson he was teaching, he said, Two million, two billion, now billion, B, billion, two billion people in the world's dream in life is to have a bicycle. Remember that? So I'm going to say to you this morning, everybody in this room's rich. Everybody in this bicycle, everybody in this bicycle 
I mean, everybody in this room has a bicycle or would want a bicycle, but you old people sell your bicycles. <laughs> and you old people shouldn't be riding two-wheel bicycles. My aunt rode a bicycle, fell, broke her main bone or one leg, took her forever to get over it, and I'm not sure she ever did get over it. I said, Aunt Mouse, what in the world are you doing riding a two-wheel bicycle in your 70s? Do not go up on ladders past 70, and do not ride bicycles past 70, and do not do skydiving and a whole number of other things. <laughs> you heard it here. The kingdom of God, by vast majority, will be made up of poor folks. James chapter 2, verse 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? It's a question. Even Jesus came out as uh, and made himself poor in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he owned everything, he owns everything. Yet for your sake, you're for your sakes, and that's plural, he became poor that through his poverty you might be rich. Glory to God, I'm rich in Christ today beyond imagination and beyond belief. The pharaohs of Egypt wanted eternal life, but they didn't get it. And this old poor boy from Indiana, by the grace of God, through the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, has what everybody in the world wants to have is eternal life. Because if you don't have eternal life, that means you can't keep anything you have anyway. Secondly, Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus. He was. But he was afraid to make it public. He was what the Bible called, we call a secret Christian. The Bible doesn't do it. We do. A secret Christian. Uh, found there in verse 19 through 38. He didn't want to make it public. Now, now, some of us fundamentalists would call him a lily liver, spineless, weak-willed compromiser, not a secret Christian. Some of us possibly would castigate him for not coming forth and being proud to be a Christian and telling the whole world he knew Jesus. Some of us, possibly, would rail on him for not being willing to lose his position in society and the honor and respect that he had in his community for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us, possibly, would have trashed him long before he got to bury Jesus and give his tomb. It's funny. We make provision for the weak throughout our whole society. In our schools, we have provision for educably slow. We have uh, special education classes. That's what I took in college. I took dumb, dumb English. And when he went as a freshman to Bob Jones University, they had two, two courses of English. They had English for people like Jayla. And then they had English for people like Billy. I got the dumb, dumb English, which, by the way, was loaded with people. And, uh, and I was an a, a and B student in high school English. When I went to Bob Jones, I didn't even think I knew English. 
and I passed the course with flying colors, C minus. And as uh, George Bush said, what happens to C students? They run the world. That's what happens to them. Anyway. We, in our, we have handicapped parking places for those who are infirmed everywhere you go. We have handicapped bathrooms, special bathrooms for them, and, and ramps, handicapped ramps all over the major cities of the United States, they ramp their sidewalks. Massive amount of money for people that would happen to have a wheelchair that they can get up and down those places. We have nursing homes. Boy, here in Florida, we have nursing homes. We have uh, special homes, uh, assisted living, they call them. They're nice names for them, for old folks' home. But assisted living homes for people who maybe struggle with uh, getting around and, and who's you know, maybe kids don't want to take care of them or whatever. Uh, we have nurseries, even in this church, for small children that still dirty their diapers and uh, cry, uh, you know, and different things like that. We, in other words, we have, we have special room here. We have a, a mother nursing room over there, baby nursing room over there, and we have a penalty box on this side over here for really old people. Mother Bob Rose used to sit over there, and now... Lillian Sikora's over there, and Bill Sikora used to be over there. That's so they can hear better. It's a little better hearing in that room. And uh, so anyway, I just wanted to let you know that. But we have special all kinds of things, don't we? It's funny, we make special provisions for people with special trouble. But if a person trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they don't quit all the worldliness right away, and they don't start immediately reading their Bible, change their clothing, their worldly clothing to modest clothing. They get a haircut and stop cussing, take all of their piercings out and try to get rid of their tattoos. We throw them in the church dumpster. Some people do. Praise God, the Lord Jesus is willing, is willing to go to the local church dumpster and pick them out and use them by the grace of God for his call. That was Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea. He was, a, he was a backslid. He was. I not wanting to be identified with Jesus. What you going to call him? He's backslid. If you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my father, which is in heaven. That's what the Bible said. Well, he didn't want to do that. He was a coward. I'll, I'll give him that. He was. He was a fraidy cat. He was ashamed of Jesus at that time. And he was not where he was supposed to be. But given the right circumstances, and when those right circumstances came along, uh, he stood up with boldness and argued with Pilate and begged the body of Jesus and was absolutely willing to put everything he had down for the name of Jesus. He got out of the dumpster and got on the front lines for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going somewhere. What about Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, the Bible says. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was very prestigious. John chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says he came by night to see Jesus because he wanted to avoid public notice. He was right in the same boat there with Joseph. As fundamentalists, we would consider him as somewhat cowardly and shame of the Lord Jesus. We, some people, some people, 
may even consider him barely saved if there is such a thing, or spineless, trying to straddle both fences, being unloyal to the Lord Jesus. And in some, and in some way, they would be right. But in John 19, where we read this morning, notice that in God's word that it takes exception, and there is Nicodemus donating thousands and thousands of dollars, boldly identifying himself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 39, there came Nicodemus was the first who came. Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. That's massive. Some three times we see Nicodemus mentioned in the Bible, uh, chapter 3 of John, chapter 7 of John, and chapter 19 of John. And what you see in those chapters is a growing child of God. Nicodemus started out ashamed about Jesus and wanted to meet with him by night. Two in John chapter 7, he's arguing with the Sanhedrin who he was part of. Let me read it for you. In John chapter 7, verse 46, says, Officers answered and said, Never man spake like this man about the Lord Jesus. And they answered them, the Pharisees, Are you all so deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? That was the question they asked. But this people who know not the law are cursed. Nicodemus stood up and saith unto them, he that, and by the, why, by the way, the Bible says here, he that came by, came to Jesus by night, being one of them. The Bible doesn't hide your weakness. It doesn't hide it. He was, he was afraid. And he said, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he, what he doeth? He challenged their thinking. That was bold, brother. That was bold. They answered and said to him, Art thou a Gal- also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. They thought they were right, but they weren't. He was actually born in Bethlehem, and out of Bethlehem, according to Micah 5, 2, indeed the Christ was going to come and did come. So Nicodemus starts out in John chapter 3 as a secret believer. John chapter 7, he begins to be willing to stand up for Jesus in the midst of his peers of the Sanhedrin. And by John chapter 19, he is openly and fully identifying himself with the Lord Jesus in spite of the Roman soldiers, in spite of what sacrifice it may bring. I'm afraid some of us fundamentalists, Bible believers, uh, may have uh, long ago driven him out of our local churches as a spineless, possibly unsaved compromiser uh, in the John chapter 3 case. But Jesus came and picked him out of the dumpster of service of the rejects and made, made him a hidden treasure. Made him a hidden treasure. There's a thing that says, don't judge a book by its cover. I don't think we should judge somebody too soon. I think God has patience with us and so we don't all grow the same speed. I've been thrilled with the people of Gospel Baptist. We've had people come in here right out of the world. We've had girls come in here that have been, been immoral and on cocaine and stuff for 20 years and wanted to get right with God. And they came in in the clothing that they were used to wearing, which wasn't much. Shrink wrap. Low top, 
high bottom. And our people didn't jump on him and say, what in the world are you doing coming to church dressed like that? Now, there possibly could have been some of us that may have said that or thought that in their mind. But shame on you. Let me tell you, we're our, your sin's no, no better than their sin. We're sinners by the grace of God, saved by grace. We're saved by grace. We come out of the world. I thank God for the way you treated those people. I remember Paul came into gospel. And Paul came in, he was an electrician and, and lived a wild kind of a life. He came in about 50-some years old. And he was, you know, just realizing that there had to be something more. And he was searching for God. He came to gospel and he had tattoos Solid, all, both all, both arms, and maybe other places of the body, but all I ever saw was his arms. Solid tattoos, kind of had a big old, big old ponytail, big old earrings. And you know, I'm raised the old World War II generation, man. I'm a World War II generation, shaven, no earrings, you know. And I see somebody with earrings and like Paul with a beard, and I go, oh. By the way, people that are against beards, Jesus had a beard. It's hard to argue against it. Well, you know, the old World War II people, which I was raised by, they believed you shaved, man. You shaved, your, and, and you never wore blue jeans. Only bums wore blue jeans. That's my dad's words to me. It's just a tradition. It was just family, family tradition. But you know, people come in. Old Paul came in. I thank God the way you welcomed him in. You never said anything about his earrings and about his long hair and about his ponytail and, and about his tattoos. And pretty soon he started making decisions for Christ. He got saved. And, and pretty soon he wanted to even sing in the choir. Now he wanted to sing in the choir. We had to draw a little bit of a line there. I said, I said Paul, if you want to sing in the choir, you got to take the earrings out. He said, man, that's no problem at all. Took them right out. He said, man, I don't want anything to stand between me and Jesus. And I go, what? That sounds like dedication to me. And, and, and that brother kept going. One time he said, oh, preacher, I'm so ashamed of my tattoos. That was in a different time of my life. And, you know, he said, but I don't know what to do. I said, don't you worry about them. Don't get them taken off and don't worry about them. You just come in the way. That's what you, you can use that as a testimony by the grace of God. This is what I was and this is what I am now. God saved me out of the world. And he, he did. And by the way, God took him home and got cancer, eventually died. The Bible, the man read his Bible through, he started reading his Bible through every year. He, he, I went over his house, he showed me how he did it, had it on the TV, big screen TV, had the Bible come up and scroll down, and he'd follow the Bible. He didn't read real well, so he'd follow Alexander Scorby as he read through the Bible, and he'd follow it in his Bible. And he read through the entire Bible every year. Relig and buddy, I could tell by looking at the man's face, he had, he had the shine of heaven on his face pretty soon. We need to show some tolerance for those growing or if they're, they're, in, the, they're in the time of their Christian experience where they're in the, what a secret believer for Jesus. Like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were. I believe a healthy church ought to have, ought to have a group of mature believers. This church, I believe, is a healthy work, healthy church. And we got a group of, of, of uh, mature Bible knowledge believers here that have been saved for many years and lived for God for many years, been through many trials and, 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 and 
troubles and, and challenges and tests of God, and he'll put everybody through them. You're not exempt from it. And then and the trials come, and you just fall down and trust God through it, and you rise up. You're stronger than you were before you went through it, and you get another one, another one, another one. Each time, you're, each time you get up, you're stronger and you're better because you trusted in God. And everything that God wants you to do is understand that he's everything. And, and Brother Whiff said this morning, without me, you can do Jesus. said, without me, you can do nothing. There can't be a truer statement in the Bible. We need him. But he's teaching us that through things that go on. So we have a group of mature Christians, those saints have traveled life's road, and these groups oftentimes are some of the most compassionate people. They can be very compassionate because of what they've been through. Then you got this group of what I call midlife spiritual growth folks. They've been saved 10 years, 5 years, you know, 8 years, it could be a different time. They've grown in Christ some, they know the Bible some, but they still struggle with some of the habits that they haven't quite been able to shake. Some of them still smoke, and once in a while, some of them still maybe look at stuff on their phone or TV they ought not to be looking at, and they know they shouldn't be. They still they still struggle with selfishness. Uh, they know they've been saved from so great a death, but are not totally dedicated. And you got that group. And by the time, a lot of times, the people that know some of the Bible can be the meanest most judgmental. What's amazing, they've been saved out of the world, yet they'll be judgmental on somebody who's coming out of the world and maybe not quite where they think they ought to be. We call them Bible thumpers. You ever, ever seen them? Bible thumpers. That's where you take a Bible and you beat somebody on the head with it. This Bible is not to beat people with. This Bible is to grow people with. It's a survival manual that God's given us. And you got that middle group. Everybody does. There's no church you ever went into is perfect. No church you ever went to had perfect people. If you ever went into a church that everybody was perfect, you'd ruin it. You got it, right? You'd ruin it. No perfect. Man, a, a, a body of believers is a hospital. This place is a hospital in which we heal people by the, by the word of God and the Holy Spirit and we love them and encourage them and give them the balm of Gilead and then we, we, we build each other up and, and we, we, we strengthen each other to go out into the world and face the wiles of the devil as it were day by day in her job and whatever you do. That's what a church is. And then in any good church or any healthy church, you got newborn babies. You got immature, what we call immature Christians. They, they're still struggling with a whole array of trouble. I mean, they still have all kinds of, uh, of, of things that they picked up in the world and from the world. They may still be listening to some of that old rock and roll music that'll, that, that was born in hell, and, and, and they may still listen to that once in a while. And and like Nicodemus or like Joseph of Arimathea, they're not where they ought to be, but they will be if, if some of them at least will be, if we'll love them and just not prejudge them, amen? Now, in case you're wondering whether I'm preaching this because we got a problem here at Gospel, I'm actually not. I'm preaching this because it's the Bible. And I don't want to have this problem, amen? I want to be known as a body of believers that love the lost, and we'll reach them by the grace of God. That's what this is all about. We bring kids in the bus ministry 
One time I had a $900 camera in Mac Hall. $900 it cost the church. And one day I went to use it, it was gone. It was gone. I mean, unplugged, gone. I thought they at least should have taken the plug. I mean, the plug, you got to have a specific plug to run the camera. Somebody stole the camera. And, of course, you know it was the bus kids. We don't know that. But, you know, people say, oh, I bet it's one of them bus kids they brought in. Well, we bring in kids. We go out. We try to find thieves. Now, if you're a bus kid and you're in here, I'm not saying you're a thief. But I got a feeling there may have been some on the bus. We're, we're looking for bad boys. We're looking for bad kids. We're looking for kids raising a drug-infested drug home or a home with violence in it, a home with, with hatred in it. We're looking for kids that are struggling, and we want to bring them to church. And it makes sense to me that when you possibly bring them to church, things may disappear. Amen? What did we do? We went and bought a new camera, and we wired it in this time. Wired it in. Haven't lost one since. Now, it could have been stolen by one of our deacon's kids. <laughs> but we don't know. But I know that everybody is born with a sin nature. So you never know where it's going to come from. But, uh, Let's not judge people before the time. Allow them to have some space to grow, some room to see, some room to, to understand and personally get the message of the Word of God. I want to say to you today who are mature here, I love you and I'm glad you're here. You that are not so mature, you still got carnality in your life, I love you and I'm glad you're here and you're in the right place. Now, you that are immature and have a whole lot of carnality in your life and don't even understand much of the concept of the Bible, I am thrilled and glad you're here. And you came to the right place to grow in Christ Jesus and be mature. Because a few of you in that last group I mentioned are like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. You're ready to, at the right time, in the right place, you're ready to take off. For God. Somebody this week did the unthinkable. Pastor, I say Pastor Tom, because Tom, actually, Tom Gillespie is a pastor of, of a certain parish called San Carlos Park. And somebody did the unthinkable this week, Tom. They said they wanted to possibly start a bus ministry in an era, a new, new route. Oh, man, you, I just about flipped over. Want to start a bus ministry? Yeah, I may just give the rest of my life on the bus, to the bus ministry. Woo! Now, you made this preacher happy. I can't tell you what, but, but any better thing to do. If God don't do it, don't do it. But if God tells you to do it, brother, jump on it because you've got an opportunity to go out there in the highways and the hedges and literally compel them to come in and fulfill the will of God. I appreciate all three groups. I want to finish with this verse. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment, Jesus' words I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Think about that. 
as Jesus has loved me, I'm supposed to love you. Oh, my. I, I feel like such a failure because he's loved me beyond imagination. He's loved me in spite of who I am. He's helped me in spite of who I am. And I'm supposed to do that for you. If you insult me, I'm supposed to just love on you. I'm to bless those who curse me. Do good to those who despitefully use me. Why? That's what Jesus did for me. There was a time in my early life, my stupid early life, where I told my mom and dad, I'm sorry that I'm a Christian, and I, I wish I hadn't been raised in a Christian home. The Bible says every idle word a man speaks give account of in that day. That's a horrible statement. And I'm glad that he had mercy on me. I'm glad that God don't just cut you off the first time you make a mistake. Don't throw you in the dumpster because you didn't perform just right or didn't do just right. When Brother Boucher and his wife had trouble, stumbled, and for a time fell, the Bible says the righteous follows seven times, but what happens? He riseth up again. My goal and purpose for Brother Boucher and his wife was that they could be restored back into the ministry and that we tried to treat him so. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we did not. Uh, in any way condone what happened. We condemned it. They condemned it. And God restored them. And today he's senior pastor of Calvary Baptist Church up there in up there in uh, Inglewood and restored them. One of the thrills of my life was to see Brother Boucher and his wife get up off the ground and stand up again in Jesus. And do what's right. I'm sure Joseph of Arimathea was always ashamed of the way he acted in the past. Why he didn't take a stand earlier. I'm sure that Nicodemus was ashamed of himself that in John 3 he came by night to see Jesus. Why he wouldn't have stood more. But the point is he did stand. And the point is Joseph of Arimathea did stand. And brother, I said this over and over. It's how you end that counts, not how you begin. God help us. Father, help us this morning to get this truth from the Word of God. Oh, blessed Holy Spirit, there may be some in our midst without Christ. And we're going to sing a couple verses just as I am without one plea. And maybe they need to make a decision. Today could be the day you make a decision for Christ and say yes to Him. Could be a decision that today you mature some. You throw off some of the world that's been holding you back and been hurting you. You're saved, but you got some of the world that's hurting you and hanging on. Maybe today's the day to throw it off. Like old Joseph of Arimathea or like Nicodemus, you're progressing, you're maturing to the place you'll stand up for Jesus if you lose everything. God help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.